have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, a few moments. We're going to continue our study in the, predominantly in the first half of John chapter 10. But um, as you're turning there, I want to share with you a statement that some of you might be familiar with. And it goes like this. None are so blind as those who refuse to see. None are so blind as those who refuse to see. And, and the premise of that is that you cannot force understanding on someone who doesn't want to understand. You can't force understanding of the truth to someone who chooses to be blind or ignorant to it. None are so blind as those who refuse to see. Now, in our passage this morning that we'll get to in a few moments, uh, Jesus is speaking to a group of Pharisees. And he, in his discourse to them, uh, they are simply refusing to see Jesus for who he truly is, the shepherd of the flock of Israel. Their refusal to see Jesus for who he is renders them spiritually blind. You know, I believe today that there are many people who are spiritually blind. There are many people who know about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They don't have that personal relationship with him. They don't see him as their shepherd. In our text, Jesus is going to reveal to us two primary ways that he reveals himself as our shepherd. And it is our prayer that we would see Jesus today as our great and good shepherd for all of life. So you're there, you're in our text, you're in John chapter 10. Um, actually, we're going to pick up in John chapter 9, verse 39, but John 10 was easier to say. So you're really close. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 39. The context of our passage is, is we are coming right out of, uh, for us it was already a week ago, but the, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. If you were with us last week, if you tuned in online, uh, we learned that that was an incredible miracle that Jesus did in someone's life, but that resulted in that man being kicked out of the synagogue by a group of Pharisees. The same group of Pharisees that we continue with today, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become what? Blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You know, last week, Pastor Brian, as he was teaching, one of the statements that he made, he says that spiritual blindness causes us to miss seeing Jesus and serving others. Now, this group of Pharisees, they are standing right there in front of Jesus. And although they see him, they miss seeing him. They miss God standing right in front of them. None are so blind as those who refuse to see. Spiritual blindness. Um, that man who was born blind, that Jesus healed, that these Pharisees then kicked out of the synagogue, is proof that they were spiritually 
blind. And they ask this question. They say, Jesus, are we really blind too? And as we, as we hear that, we might think, you know what? Maybe, maybe a second miracle is about to happen. Maybe these Pharisees are actually going to come around to acknowledge the truth that they really don't have that relationship with God that they thought that they had. But as we look at Jesus' response, if we were to analyze the grammar, here's what the Pharisees are really saying in their question. They're really saying more of, come on, Jesus, seriously? Do you really think we're spiritually blind? I mean, who else has these awesome robes that we have? Who else have all these little trinkets strapped to us that we have? Who else has most of the Old Testament memorized? Jesus, in case you haven't realized it, People know us around here, and we're kind of a big deal. Really? We're blind? Here's the thing. Our fallen condition blinds us to, our, to spiritual realities. Our fallen condition blinds us to that. The Apostle John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John that we are studying, um, also wrote the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, near the end of your Bibles. And, and John says this. He says in 1st John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin. Time out. Let's pause there. Is it possible for someone, for a sinner to think they are sinless? It absolutely is. John says, if we claim to be without sin. Well, what's the result of that? He says, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Our fallen condition blinds us to our true spiritual condition. And, you know, to be completely transparent here, um, if you've, gone to, if you've gone to Bible college, if you've gone to seminary, if you've grown up in the church, if you've got the Bible memorized, first off, that's fantastic. That's awesome. I'm right there with you. But the, the warning that we have from Jesus is that what we know about him should not replace us knowing him. It is good to grow in our walk with the Lord. It is good to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's, that's Peter's final words too, is grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But see, having good doctrine and having good theology, while those are incredibly and vitally important, what's more important is that we would know Christ is that we would know him, that we would conform to his mind, that we would conform to his heart, his will, his spirit, and act on his behalf in the world today, that we would know Jesus. You know, um, I'm 37 years old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thunders are roaring out there. I, I, I'm 37 years old, and I'm still finding myself asking the question, what do I want to be when I grow up? Is anyone else, anyone else out there? Okay, so, wow. So good, so good. Man, at 8.30 service, there was like one person over there in the corner. So, awesome. We're in good company here. But, uh, you know, I'm finding myself, what do I want to be when I grow up? And, and my children, I've got two uh, just wonderful, beautiful children. They're actually over here joining us this morning. Reuben is eight and Mary is six. And, and they have got ideas already about what they want to be when they grow up. And our daughter, Mary, I'm pretty sure that she wants to have a different profession or vocation for every day of the week. And, and that difference changes continually. But the point is this. It's one thing 
to, to grow up and do something. See, but what's more important is, is who we know. The most significant thing that we can do with our lives is to know Jesus. It's to know Jesus. That's the most significant thing we can do with our lives. So if my daughter wants to be something different every day of the week, man, power to her. You go, girl. I love you, Mary, but know Jesus. And I say that to all of you and watching online and, and young adults who are, who are in college and, or, or, or seeking out a new profession or vocation. Go for it, but run with Jesus. And whatever age or walk of life you are in, man, know Jesus. Know him. I believe that scripture clearly teaches that the heart of Jesus is for all people to know him personally as their shepherd, not just about Jesus. Jesus makes that abundantly clear for us in Matthew. Some of you are familiar with this verse. Jesus says up here in Matthew, coming up, There it is, Matthew chapter 7. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So Jesus is saying, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to know a lot about me. But look at what he says to those who know about him without knowing him. Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never, what? I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. This is interesting. Let's keep this verse up for another moment. That last part there, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus connects, he makes the connection that, there, that the lack of knowing him, Jesus equates that to evil. So we say, as we look in the world today, when we try and define evil, well, what is evil? Evil is simply this, not knowing Jesus. It, it's, it's, it's that fundamentally simple. It's not knowing Jesus. It, we can know a lot about him. We can have a, a lot of, of scripture memory, which we should. You should be doing that. But Jesus says, man, first and foremost, know me. Know me as your shepherd. The difference between knowing Christ and knowing about Christ is the difference between heaven and hell. Let's read what happens next. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Speaking to that same group of Pharisees, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep will follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. So to help this His listeners understand Jesus uses an illustration. And he uses an illustration that they would have um, culturally been very familiar with, shepherding sheep in a sheep pen. And it would have looked something like this. A sheep pen back in that day would have looked something similar to this. Obviously, this is an artist's rendition, but it would have been a man-made enclosure of stacked stones. And you can see how many entrances are there. 
There's one. And the gate, it's not the same type of swinging gate on a hinge, you know, that we might think of when we think of a gate, but the gate is actually what? It's a person. And, and Jesus says, he, he says that, um, what does he say? <laughs> he says, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, he also says that those who enter another way, so one who does not enter by the gatekeeper, but climbs in some other way, he calls them, really, he calls them two things. What are they? Thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Now, let's pause here for a second. Why would Jesus say that at this point? Well, we remember as we're, we're reading our passage right here that we're, we're coming right out of Jesus doing a supernatural miracle in the life of a person who was born blind. He, he does something that had never been done before. He restores sight to a blind person. And that resulted in this, um, this man who can now see being interrogated, so to speak, by the Pharisees. And their parents were dragged into it. And then ultimately, uh, this man was kicked out of the synagogue. He, he, is, he is kicked out of the synagogue. And we would say today that, that this man was kicked out of the synagogue because God did something in his life that was outside the bounds of their traditions. God did something on the Sabbath, and that rocked the pharisaical world. Someone had to pay. Heads were going to roll for that. And, you know, there's times that God is going to do things in your life or in the life of another that are going to be outside of what you are familiar with, that are going to be outside of what you may have grown up knowing. It's going to be outside of your framework of faith. I remember that happened in my life. I was on my very first missions trip. It was January 2010, and we were in Guatemala on a medical, uh, medical missions. And uh, at that time, I was a, a paramedic with Orlando Fire Rescue. And um, we were there with nurses, and we were there with doctors, and we're on a medical missions trip. So uh, as a paramedic, I was like putting on Band-Aids with all the, well, there's doctors there doing other things. But um, this one person came up to myself and my friend Luis, and he lifted up his shirt. He came up for prayer. He lifted up his shirt, and all over his stomach were these, like these bulging uh, tumors, the size of a golf ball or maybe a lemon, many of them all across his abdomen. And, and he came up and he asked for prayer. And I'm thinking, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. But Luis, he's just like, well, we're just going to pray. So he puts his hands on the man and begins to pray. And as God is my witness, as he is praying, as he is praying, these tumors, whatever they were, are disappearing before our eyes. See, praise God is right. But my point is this. That was so far outside my framework of faith. God did something that rocked my world. God did something that I had never seen before. God did something that I was not expecting. God did it in a way that I wasn't planning on. You know what I learned in that moment? God is God and I am not. Something you all already know. 
God is God and I am not. Do you know what's true in your life just as much as it's true in my life? God is God and you are not. God is going to do things in the ways he wills to do them, in the time frame he wills to, to do them within, and that is okay. See, God does not ask us to understand what he does. He doesn't ask us to understand why he does. He asks us to understand who he is. And when we understand who he is, we understand then who we are. God is God and we are not. And when we understand who he is and who, he, that who we are, then what he does is okay because of who he is. You tracking with me? God is God and we are not. God is going to do things that are going to challenge and stretch our faith but he's going to do things in order. He's going to do things in accordance with his word. He's a God of order and he is a God of peace. So what is Jesus' warning in all of this for us? Remember, his context is a group of very, very knowledgeable, very educated religious leaders, Pharisees. So his warning, I think, is really having a deep knowledge of the scriptures, but a shallow relationship with the shepherd leads to living a very small life. And I want to challenge you today that that you would have not just a deep knowledge of the Scriptures, but first and foremost, you would have a deep relationship with our shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, you can always tell a person who leads a a small life. The person who leads a small life, like the Pharisees, is the person who tries to control the will of God in the life of another. When God does something in someone else's life, rejoice and be glad because God is on the move. The role of the gatekeeper was to connect the sheep with their shepherd. That was his role, was to simply connect the sheep with with their shepherd. Now, what's the role of the pastor in a church today? It's the exact same thing. It's to simply connect sheep with their shepherd. The Pharisees they would have had most of the Old Testament memorized, many of them. At a bare minimum, they would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So when Jesus is using this illustration to help them understand, this illustration of a shepherd and a sheep, the the Pharisees ought to have connected the dots because Numbers chapter 27 says this, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a what? A shepherd. King David, in his Psalms, when he wrote the Psalms, he echoed that in Psalm 100, verse 3, King David penned this. He said, know that the Lord is God. And we're going to put parentheses there, and we are not. It is he who made us, we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Turn to the person next to you and just say, you're sheep? You're sheep, get fun with it. (laughs) We're all in this together. We are sheep in the Lord's pasture, in his sheep pen. So what is the sheep pen? Well, the sheep pen in this context is not heaven. The sheep pen is the community of believers. 
And Jesus says the only legitimate access to the community of believers is through the gatekeeper, is through Jesus. Now, this might sound a little elementary, but believe it or not, but you cannot be a Christian apart from knowing Christ. He's warning that there are false shepherds out there who are like sheaves in sheep in wolves' clothing. And they try and gain access of, to the community of believers through manipulative and deceptive waves, thieves and robbers. So how do we know a false shepherd? We know a false shepherd by knowing the voice of our true shepherd and comparing all other voices to the voice of the true shepherd. So if, God, if, if someone tells you something about God that God hasn't already said about himself, right, be on your guard. We know the voice. We must know the voice of the true shepherd. Now, many of you know the story. It takes place at the end of the Gospel of John. And it's, it's early on the third day of the week. And the Bible says that Mary ran to the tomb of Jesus. And when she had gotten there, she found that the stone had already been rolled away. Listen what happens next. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 14. At this, she turned around, and who did she see? She saw Jesus. Keep that in mind. She saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Isn't that wild? She saw him. But she didn't recognize him until Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Isn't it interesting? Mary didn't recognize Jesus by what he looked like. She recognized Jesus by what he sounded like. The voice of the shepherd, by his voice, she recognized them when he called her name. Friends, Jesus knows your name this morning. He knows your name. He knew when you were born. He knows how many, and for some of you, how few hairs are on your head. He knows every moment of every day of your life and every breath you will take. He knows what you are walking through and the circumstances that surround you. He knows them full well. He knows what will keep you awake tonight. Our shepherd knows your name. Listen to what Isaiah says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 43, he says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, Israel. And you can insert your name right there. He who created you and he who formed you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you, how? By name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Church, the God, the same God who is for Israel is for you and I this morning. 
God is for you and I today. So when adversity comes, when tribulation happens, the fact that God knows your name and that you are his, that's what's going to get you through. When we understand the significance of God knowing our name and the fact, the reality that we could hear his still small voice, it changes the way we view our circumstances because the God who knows us is greater than the circumstance that surrounds us. He will see you through. Read with me what happens next, beginning in verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. None are so blind as those who refuse to see. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me, Jesus says, will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The first way that Jesus reveals himself to us as our good shepherd is simply by this. Jesus is our security and our defender. That we would see him in this manner. That he is our security and he is our defender. Jesus describes himself as the gate. And he says the gate is for the sheep. Jesus is for you today. And what is, the, what is the purpose of the gate in the sheep pen? If you can remember that picture from earlier. Well, the gate defended the sheep from predators. It alerted the sheep to thieves and robbers. And it also protected the sheep from themselves. One more time. Turn to one another. You're a sheep. Guess what, sheep? We're prone to wander. We're prone to wander. We need a gate in our lives. Let me illustrate. Up on the screen, you're going to see a picture, and some of you are going to twitch. This is TSA security at Orlando International Airport. <laughs> we are very thankful for TSA security. We also all have a lot of opinions about it. Um, first off, it's never 25 minutes. I'm always, I, do we take our shoes off? Do we not? Does the belt stay on? What about the wallet and the keys? What about the change in my pocket? I never carry change in my pocket except for when I'm going through security for whatever reason. I don't know if that's just me or you. But, and, then, and then it comes to like the iPad. Is the iPad a laptop that comes out of the backpack or does it stay in there because it's a small? Whatever. You get the point. You've been there. TSA security is a gate. And, and there is a process of going through it. And it is incredibly uncomfortable and it is stressful, right, because you feel like you're the one holding up the sea of people behind you. You know what I'm talking about? Meanwhile, when you look to your right and to your left, you're like, oh, I'm not alone. We're, we're in this together. But when you go through the process and you come out on the other side of the security gate, then the, the safe assumption is that everyone else who was on that side of the gate had to go through the very same process. They have been vetted. They have been checked. You're in a safe place. You're in green pastures. There's the food court. <laughs> you're in a good place. And you can then make your way to your gate, board your flight, and go wherever you're going. 
It's a gate. It's a type of gate we've all walked through. It's a type of gate we're familiar with. There is a process. We may not always like the process. We we may not always enjoy the refining processes of the Lord in our life, and, and we can oftentimes find ourselves looking to the right and to the left wondering, how come that person didn't have to take their shoes off to do, get to the same place? And we say, how come that person didn't have to walk through what I walked through? I don't know why, but here's what I do know. God is God, and I am not. And he is the gate, and the gate is for the sheep. It's for, he is for you and I, and he has a process. Now, these Pharisees, these Pharisees here, remember the connection, uh, the context of our passage. He's speaking to the same group that likely threw the blind man from last week out of the synagogue. They were false shepherds. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. Why? Because they put the keeping of tradition over the transformative work of the gospel. They put the keeping of tradition ahead of what God wanted to do in someone's life. Friends, tradition cannot transform a life. And we have to continually be careful of the framework of our faith, our traditions. Because God is going to do things, he's going to stretch us that might be outside of what we are familiar with. So I want to share with you quickly three just kind of checks for us to check ourselves, to make sure, to evaluate that we're not putting tradition ahead of transformation. First, that works don't supersede love. Sometimes we can become very process-oriented, right? We, we, we like to do things. Anyone here like to do things? We like to do things. But I would say, first off, thank you for being a serving church. Thank you for being a church that serves, that does. But may, 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 may love come first. Second, we want to be careful of having a critical spirit. Right? That was the Pharisees, like, to the T. They were incredibly critical of what God was doing. Let's, let's, be, let's be careful of criticism. Third, the living and the leading of an unfruitful life. Right? Activity and busyness does not equate to fruitfulness. We want to be living fruitful lives. So how do you live a fruitful life? It's the life lived in obedience to follow the shepherd. That, that you would just follow Jesus. That you would just do the things the Lord has called you to do, which is first and foremost knowing him as your shepherd. Jesus calls these Pharisees thieves and robbers. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't use the word, he doesn't use the past tense were. He doesn't say all who came before me were thieves and robbers. He uses the present tense, are. And his grammar structure in the text is he's really saying this, those who are before me. So, so you group of Pharisees who are before me right now, he's saying you're the thieves and you're the robbers. You're trying to access the people of God in an illegitimate manner. You're deceptive, manipulative, strong-arming wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, my sheep, contextually, he is referring to the man who was born blind who could now see. He says, my sheep, that man, he didn't listen to you because he knows the voice of his shepherd. He knows the voice of Jesus. 
You know the voice you listen to is going to determine your experience in life and with God? The voice you and I listen to are going to determine our experience in life and with God. Here's how that works. The mind, we can just say this this morning. By the way, I am not a scientist, nor am I a doctor. But the mind is basically a data reception center. It receives input. It receives information. How does it do that? Well, it primarily receives information, receives data through our senses. Um, the two senses really in our story are sight and, and hearing. So what we hear and what we see, uh, the mind takes that and it just it, it sits in there as data. I saw something and I just deposited it there. I heard something and I deposited it there. But that's not all the mind does. The mind doesn't just receive data. The mind also processes data. It interprets that information. And, and when the mind interprets the information that it has received, it creates what you and I know as a thought. How many of you have ever had a thought? <laughs> Some of you are thinking right now, where's this guy going? Can he be done? Soon, patience. But it creates a thought. Now, a thought, again, is the product of the mind's interpretation of the data that it received through our body's senses. How many of you have ever had a wrong thought? Put both hands up on that. So, so it is possible that we could be thinking the wrong things today. It's also possible that we could be thinking the right things. What we think will influence how we live. What we think will influence how we live. It is very important that we understand what we're thinking and that it be correct. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that we're to take every thought, every product of interpreted data, we're to take every thought captive and we're to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, Paul to the Corinthians saying, the things you're thinking, before you act on them, make sure it lines up with the word and will of God. Make sure it lines up with that. Because if it doesn't, you might be taking the first step down the wrong path. And the more steps down the wrong path you take, the harder it's going to be and the longer of a journey it might be to get onto the right path. Take every thought captive. Well, how do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us a pretty practical way. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So how do we know the voice of the shepherd? Well, it's by spending time with him. It's by spending time in his Word, time in prayer, that we would know his voice so that when we have that thought we can compare it to the voice we already know, and we can say, ah, oh, this lines up, let's go for it, or no, it does not line up, let's pause. Know your shepherd's voice. Know the voice of your shepherd. Jesus then says in, in John 10.10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's apply this to Satan's life. You know Satan has a plan for your life? Satan has a plan for your life, and he has a plan for my life, and his plan's not going to change. The blueprint for his plan is right here in John 10.10. 10. We're going to summarize it up here on the screen. Satan's plan for your life. He wants to steal your identity. What does that mean? How do you know Satan might be trying to steal your identity? 
That's when you begin thinking the thoughts, I don't know who I am, I don't know where I am, I don't know what I'm here for, I go from life, I go from day, my life goes from day to day, meaningless, pointless, and purposeless. I don't know whose I am. Satan's after your identity. Second, Satan wants to kill every meaningful relationship in your life. You know Satan's in the breakup business? Satan loves to break relationships. He does it in the most subtle of ways, too. And by the time he, he finishes, there is just a path of relational destruction in its wake. Third, Satan wants to destroy your peace and sense of worth. Well, how do you know he's doing that? You know he's doing that when the thoughts begin to develop to the place where you're beginning to have the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the fatigue, and you begin thinking, nobody is going to miss me if I were gone. Nobody would notice because my life doesn't amount to anything. Friends, that's Satan's plan for your life. He's really good at it, too. He's been doing it for over 6,000 years on every person who's ever lived. See, nothing's going to change Satan's plans. You know, this morning, not even Jesus is going to change Satan's plans. See, Jesus, he does something completely outside of our faith framework. Jesus does this. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, but the Son of Man came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. See, hallelujah, Jesus is not interested in changing Satan's plans for your life. He is interested in destroying them. So what Satan is trying to work in us, Jesus came to work out of us. If we would receive him and see him as our shepherd. He came that we would have life that we would go in and out and about our day, we would enjoy the rich pastures of an abundant relationship and life with the Lord. And we, we understand why Jesus is pursuing us, it changes the way that we pursue him. He is our security and he is our defender and he knows your name this morning. Some of you might be thinking, man, God, God hasn't been speaking to me. Where are the parents in here? Parents, oh, wow, man, we are a church family, amen. Um, Reuben and Mary, I know you're over there, bear with me. Parents, how often do we say, go clean your room? <laughs> Finish your dinner. Don't get up from the table till you're done. Put your dirty clothes in the hamper. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on, right? And it's, it's not like we just say it once or twice, am I with me? Right? Am I alone in this? No, it's, like a, it's just like put it on repeat sometimes. And it's not that mom and dad, it's not that we aren't speaking to our children. It's, what, it's that our children aren't always listening. Okay, let's put ourselves into the picture. If God is our father, then what does that make us? It's children. It's not that God doesn't speak. It's that sometimes we're not listening for his voice. And if you feel that maybe God has gone silent on you, I would challenge you with this. Have you been faithful to obey the last thing he told you? Because we can't expect something new from the Lord if we've not been faithful 
with what he's currently given us. Let's look at what happens next, verses 11 through 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this command I received from my Father. The second way Jesus reveals himself to us as our shepherd is that we would see Jesus as him being our all in all. That he is our all in all. He gives his life for the sheep. You know the story. It took place a very, very long time ago. David, King David, was just a shepherd boy at this time, maybe, maybe 12 or 13 or so years old, and he had been tending, he had been shepherding his father's flock, and his older brothers, they were a part of Israel's army. Israel was at war with the Philistines, and they were at the battlefront at the Valley of Elah, and if you know the story, who was also at the Valley of Elah, the Philistine champion whose name is Goliath. Well, David, while he's at with his father's flock back in Bethlehem, his father says, hey, David, be a good boy and bring lunch to your brothers. So he brings them lunch. And while he's there giving lunch to his brothers, Goliath comes forward and he begins to taunt the armies of Israel. He had been doing that every day for 40 days. And his words... The, the Israelite army for 40 days have been hearing Goliath's words, which if you remember, they heard the words, the mind processed it, interpreted it, and created a thought. So every time Goliath came out to speak, Israel shrunk back. The thought was, Goliath's too big. Well, David comes and he enters the scene. He hadn't heard this before. So he hears it for the first time, and David's like, uh-uh, that ain't going to work. That's not going to work. So he goes to King Saul, just a boy, and he says, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, the lion or the bear that is, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I also killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this pagan Philistine, he will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. Jesus is our good shepherd. And just as David laid down his life for his father's flock, he then laid down, in a sense, his life for the armies of Israel that Israel would be victorious, that God would be glorified. Friends, today Jesus lays down his life for you and I. And he stands in the gap. 
And he says, all who come to me will be saved. Earlier, we learned that Jesus connects not knowing him with evil. So how does that apply in our lives today? Romans chapter 5, verse 10 tells us this. For if while we were God's enemies, if we were still evil, if while we had not yet known Jesus as our shepherd, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, the laying down of his life, how much more have we, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The son of man came to give his life for the sheep, that we would have life abundantly. In this section, Jesus also says, he says, I have other sheep. Right in the context of our passage, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. So the other sheep that he is referring to are are Gentiles. So if you're not a Jewish, you're a Gentile. That's many of us in here. Praise God for this truth that the gospel that Jesus came for us Gentiles as well. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with us ending on that thought. There's a missional passage to this text. Jesus has more sheep. Say it with me. More sheep. Come on. More sheep. This is going to be fun. One more time. Turn to the person next to you. You're a sheep. And Jesus has more sheep. Did you know today that Jesus uses sheep to reach sheep? He uses sheep to reach sheep. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Sheep, guess what? Jesus has more sheep. And he uses sheep to reach sheep. So hallelujah. I love what the 18th century missionary and church planter John Wesley said. He said, the world is my parish. We would say that, we might say today that John would say, the world is my pasture. And that as I come and go about the pasture of the Lord, I'm going to make more sheep. Church, expand your pasture. Expand your pasture. Your pasture that the Lord has given you is greater than your neighborhood. It is greater than our community in West Melbourne, Palm Bay, and Brevard County. The pastures of the Lord extend to the ends of the earth. And he has other sheep. He has what? More sheep scattered around the world. And how does he reach more sheep? By using who? Other sheep. If you're another sheep, raise your hand. Keep your hands raised. God wants to use you to reach more sheep. He wants to use every single one of us. And I believe in this room here this morning, in the balcony watching online, God has called some of you to be church planters. I believe that God has called some of you to be sent missionaries. Why? Because he has more sheep. 
And then we need to walk in our calling and have a global view of the pastures of the Lord. So to conclude this, Jesus says at the end of this passage, and we'll have the band come out here. He says that there would be one flock and there would be one shepherd. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says this, that there is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. Jesus is our all and all. He is our shepherd. This section concludes with the Jews asking a question. They say, why should we listen to him? And maybe that's some of you this morning asking why should I listen to Jesus? Why should I listen to everything this guy up here has been talking about for the last 45 minutes? I'm going to read something to you and just let the Lord minister to your heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, you are our good shepherd. You know us each by name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, you are calling some of us by name this morning that we would see you as our shepherd, that we would enter the sheep pen through you, that we would enjoy the rich pastures of the Lord. If that's you, if God has been calling your name this morning, if you have heard him speaking to your heart, would you just stand? saying today, take a bold step, saying today, I'm going to enter through the gate in the balcony. If God has been calling your name, would you just stand? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are our good shepherd. Thank you for laying down your life for the sheep. Lord, may we have the faith to believe you for greater things that you would have the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.